0: could say that my spiritual quest was pure escapism and i want to have a human awakening and, and i think when i shifted that perspective from having a spiritual awakening to having a human awakening i grounded i felt much more present i respond to the world i'm i'm here
1: yeah and here in a way that is so different from A kind of dry conceptual idea of being in the present moment here means here in my body in the blood and guts and viscera of a human life with with its difficulties and with its joys and with the arising and passing of everything that's going on it's a way of showing up that doesn't doesn't wipe you out basically
0: yes to become comfortable in the mundane and relaxed in the chaos just make life easier.
1: This is a conversation with Tom Travers. He's a colleague of mine working as part of a team of eight instructors and coaches in the fields of movement, health, embodiment, meditation, injury recovery, and mindful longevity, all within the Movement Plus membership program app. Tom has been working in the movement arts for over two decades now. His personal practice is a fusion of meditative movement, somatic awareness and working with the bow staff. Focusing on the mastery of foundational skills, he weaves together breath, mantra and dynamic movement into each practice. To support deep healing of the body-mind. This was a really sincere and intimate conversation, exploring his recovery from childhood trauma to the flourishing of life he now experiences, and the gifts of that journey that can help the clients he now works with. During the podcast we discuss left brain, right brain imbalance and its repercussions, recovery from childhood trauma, and moving beyond victimhood. The universe presenting us with unexpected opportunities, the difference between concentration and awareness, and the importance of practice being fun and inviting, rather than effortful and daunting. We also discussed the power and depth of trusting simple techniques for movement and meditation, the value of Small regular daily practice versus sporadic deep dives, such as long retreats, the householder's path as different from the path of a renunciate, spiritual versus human awakening, and the difference between faux and real intimacy, and lots of other topics. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Tom, where getting to know each other. This is the second time we've spoken and really excited to be beginning a collaboration together as part of the Movement Monk Movement Plus membership. And I just thought it'd be lovely for my listeners and for Movement Monk listeners to get to know you a bit and for us to explore where your practice and your your skills overlap and how you'll be contributing to to the whole Movement Plus program. So maybe just introduce yourself briefly. Tell us a little bit about the, the types of practices and, and what you'll be offering.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. And I think when you were introducing me, I was thinking about Monk and Movement Plus and, and what attracted me to that. And it was, it was fitting in very good with where I was evolving into my movement practice And where I was evolving consciously as far as focusing on spiritual development as opposed to developing more of a conscious awareness. And one thing that I'm really focusing on in these times is becoming intimate with the sensations in the body. And one thing that Benny was presenting with Movement Monk and Movement Plus is how important it is for us to really tune in to the natural rhythm of the body, the flow of the body. And working with him, it really gave me permission to move in a very different way. I had been studying and practicing yoga for over 20 years. I worked a lot with the breath, worked a lot with mantra. And somehow just taking a few of his courses allowed me to weave those things together in a freelance style. And that really evolved into me developing a personal practice that had my heart in it, as opposed to the heart of all the different teachers that i worked with over the years. It became personally and uniquely mine. And nothing that I was doing was new or unique. It was just sort of a weaving of some very simple meditative and movement techniques. And the synergy of that, for me, has had a very profound, it, it's, it's been changed. It, it changed the way that I looked at myself and the way that I move, and it has had a shift in consciousness.
1: It's amazing, isn't it, how you can be so deeply involved in a number of embodied practices, and yet somehow still have a kind of disconnect there, and, uh, and, and it just takes a, a new perspective or a, a different way of approaching those same practices to, to really unlock them in a, in a very interesting and, like you say, synergistic way.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's a good way to s- something unlock. When I began to say, you know, about three years ago, I went for a walk on the beach and I said, I was stuck. And I said, what things really have worked over the years? And it, and it came back to some of the very first practices that I utilized. And I realized that I had utilized them on and off over the years, but I hadn't really mastered them. And my focus became, how do I master these simple things and what would be the impact if I really did that and put the time into it? And I found that there's a huge amount of exploration in these very simple traditional practices, developing coaches.
1: So those practices for you, you know, reading some of the description of your work, you work with the bow staff and mindful movement with that and, and mantra and breath work are the three things that you reference.
0: Absolutely. And they all have a particular impact on the way that I feel if I do them independently. And when I weave them together, there's a synergetic effect. And that's really what I'm presenting in my teachings in the Movement Punk. As far as the bow staff goes, the important aspect of that is simply moving through the midlines. Each time our hand crosses through the center from left to right or our arm, the hemisphere of our brain has to connect the opposite way. And so I just picked up a stick one day and began to work with that idea. I had worked with children in the Waldorf education world, and that was one of the primary things we did with children who were struggling in kindergarten, first grade, give them exercises to move through their midline, left to right, above and below, front and back. And I just started to play with that. And over time, as I moved the stick through the air as I was walking, I found that the stick was moving in ways that I hadn't planned on or thought about. And because I was focusing either on walking or my breath as I was moving the stick, the body was figuring out how to move the stick through the air. And this relationship developed with the inertia of the stick in gravity had a response on the movement of the stick, and my body was responding to that and vice versa. And it became a practice of simply moving a stick through the air and allowing that movement to direct itself. And it was really just repetition beginning with the intention of moving through the midlines.
1: Yeah, the two things that come up for me there are maybe interesting to, to talk a little bit more about the left and right hemispheres and maybe some of the impacts that living primarily from the left hemisphere over the right hemisphere or an imbalance may bring about in our perception of life. But also, I really like the idea of the receptivity of the body and so so in that you're there's a natural process of releasing kind of top down control in that process and there's a just a an embodied listening so the the body knows what to do if we get out of the way in a way precise
0: and that's exactly what i experienced that the body was figuring out how the to keep the stick moving as I moved my arms through the air, fingers moving a different way, joints adjusting, shoulder adjusting. And when I tried to, I would realize that my arm just moved a certain way through space that was very elegant and graceful self opening. But when I put my mind to it, like what did I actually do to make that happen? It took me time to actually reverse engineer what my body was doing. And in both places, there's work or there's benefits. That one getting out of the way, allowing the body just to figure it out, and then getting the mind involved and seeing where the mind is preventing the body from doing it. And when we work back and forth between the mind and body this way, what's the impact of this action, and what's the impact of this thought or non-thought, then? we begin to work with the body in a psychosomatic way. And there's an impact to that. There's a, an opening, a release, a space.
1: Yeah. I can feel that in my body as we talk about it. So in a way, that does lend itself quite nicely to talk about the left and right hemispheres in that if we're approaching any kind of healing practice from a left hemisphere needing to know, needing to dissect, needing to compartmentalize, needing to strategize. That comes with its pluses and minuses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then if we can switch into a more right-brained, holistic, open awareness mode, then something else happens. And what you're talking about really there, I think, is, is... Refinding the balance, and you know, I think it's fair to say that as a culture we're completely left brain oriented, and that comes at a great toll because, like you say, there's work there to know, to constantly scan ahead, to problem solve, and there's a deep kind of offer of release and relaxation if we can shift into a more right-brained kind of open, receptive agenda way of being but we don't want to be in one or the other all the time
0: no i think that the i think we want to be in both simultaneously when when we're feeling present and grounded i think it's safe to say that both hemispheres of our brain are firing more or less and it is super important and part of the healing process and when you think when you were mentioning uh, the logic or the planning, I was thinking more of, about stories that I had to tell in, in my healing journey and the importance of understanding the human nature, the human psychology, and the nature and humanity that is all wrapped up inside of us, that is just part of all of our existence. And, and there is a logic and an, an important understanding so we can move from confusion into discernment and and more into thinking wisely about the world around us and more importantly the world inside of us what i'm working towards now and becoming more aware of that there's a mind intelligence and a body intelligence and the body intelligence is very different than the mind and the body intelligence communicates to us through sensation and when we learn to be with that sensation for me emotions and thoughts have arisen some of them intense to where my body has tremored to where tears have come out of my mind so I wanted to run away and as I've worked I'll call this the weave of my practice with these different simple meditation and movement techniques that somatic experience, there's less and less of the mental, emotional residue that comes out of the muscular neuromuscular system. And because of some of my experiences working with plant medicine and doing some very intense things in my life, I was able to sit with these sensations in these simple movements, and now they're nurturing. And those images, those smells, those emotions aren't present anymore. I can't really think of the last time that some of the more traumatic experience of my life kind of rose up while I was working in this way. Now it just feels nurturing. And yeah, so I'm, I think kind of a bridge I'm trying to make here is that as we work with the body somatically, we're diving in to the neuromuscular system and how this system of ours, this mind-body system, holds energy, holds thoughts, holds emotions. And we've never been taught, and we need to learn how in our own unique way, how to release that from the body. And I think primarily what we're trying to work with at Movement Plus is to help people find their way into untying those knots and become more intimate with the intelligence of the body.
1: Yeah, and I think it really is their way, isn't it? Because we are individual mind-body systems and what works for you doesn't necessarily work for everyone. However, underneath that, there do seem to be some very clear grounding principles that are useful and that you... Observe throughout lots of traditional healing, meditative movement modalities, you know, throughout the millennia.
0: Yeah, exactly. What we're each, I'm uniquely Tom and I'm universally human. And so we have to, Tom has to untie his knots and Dan his, but we can use the same tools. We just have to use them in different ways.
1: Yeah. So let's talk briefly about some of those knots in terms of what what brought you into this healing process and the work that you now offer, the the help that you're offering other people in this process of healing. And it's been a long journey for you and involved some some fairly major trauma in your early life, I think. So you know, without needing to go into too much detail, but it'd be good just to get a, a grounding of you know, where you've come from and, and that healing process as it's unfolded.
0: Yeah. I, I just want to say before I share a bit about my story about how my perspective on it has evolved in the past decade. And how important it is to be able to look back from the other side of, I'll call it victimhood and living in victim consciousness and to see myself in others. And it's, a, it's an unusual place to be in in these times, to see when I was, in my mind, seeking enlightenment and, and really like chasing this spiritual dream. I thought I was a spiritual warrior. And what an illusion that was for me. And that there's a real pragmatic to my life now and I I chase that spiritual dream out of traumas inflicted as a child and my my life is the the results of what we'll call it in these moments priestly love and even using that phrase I would have said it very different three or five years ago I I find myself being a little bit more tongue-in-cheek about it and I think that speaks to the healing process. And shifting from a victim's perspective into a, I'll call it just a human perspective, a, of understanding that life happens and that the results of this moment is the result of every moment in my your lives that came before it. And when we sort of accept these concepts that, life happens, then ideas of blame go away. And we can become accountable for our own healing as opposed to pointing fingers at things. And shifting perspective of instead of what happened to me, which was, you know, being raped by a priest as an altar boy, And then looking for help as a young boy, actually speaking up and saying, this is happening to me. And it being denied, it basically be said, priest would never do that. And you're a liar. And that's the actions that happened. And what I've come to realize that focusing on the impacts of actions has become much more beneficial to me. And those impacts of that action was kind of a roller coaster ride of a life from being very precocious and outspoken and bold as a preteen, exploring sexuality to the fullest extent way before I had any idea of what sexuality really was to soothing those pains with drugs and alcohol. And that sort of highlighted with an accident I was. And a Halloween party dressed up as Tattoo Man. And after who knows how much cocaine and whatever was given to me I would have taken in those times of my life, I found myself running around the backyard, flapping my arms, people cheering me on. And I ran around the back end of a pool and dove in head first. And I went, boom, and my head slammed on the bottom of a pool that was three feet deep. I thought it was nine feet deep. And I came out of that pool with a scar that now runs right across my bald head and a spinal injury. And very soon after that, I met a chiropractor, yoga teacher. My injury, the scar on my head was a flesh wound, but the actual injury was a spinal injury. And so I don't know how the universe works, but... Very fortunately, a big, gentle, giant, kundalini yoga teacher came to my life who took me under his wing and saw a potential in me that I had no idea existed. He essentially, put me in his yoga teacher training program. So from Halloween 1999, uh, fast forward to the first week in January 2000, I went from sex, drugs, and rock and roll, slowly killing myself lifestyle to be surrounded with 25 people on a six-month kundalini yoga journey and that altered the course of my life
1: amazing and you told me previously that he'd he'd basically just announced to you as he came to to work with you that you you will be on my teacher training program and
0: yeah, I probably arrived in his office, let's call it the second week of November, and it was a family-run office. He and his wife ran it, and within a week or two, he started saying, you're going to be in the teacher training starting in January. And in my mind, I was like, you're crazy. You don't get it, man. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. I was smoking crack two weeks ago, and he just persisted. And truly saved my life in the sense of that um, there was zero judgment. You know, I came into his office with 52 staples in my head and, you know, my body not tremoring from healing somatically, but tremoring from I'm really, really struggling, confused with the wrong crowd.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so from that huge turnaround, and I guess retrospectively that gift of the injury.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm happy that happened to me. I know it's strange to say. I can honestly say that I have no regrets and appreciate my experience as a child. It makes me who I am today.
1: I like who I am.
0: Yeah.
1: That comes across very, very clearly. So tell me a bit about this. You know, we've touched already on the, on the mantra and the bow staff breath work, this strong emphasis on somatic awareness and, and the body's wisdom to heal. Should we explore in a little bit more detail how those interact? So Explain to me a little bit about where mantra fits into this process and how you came to practice with mantra.
0: Mantra is a, is a foundation of kundalini yoga. And it is really one of the first tools I learned to work with the mind. And I see, and I've used mantra over the years, as a way of interrupting the mind. And so, when we sit on a cushion, or sit on a mat, or lay on our back, or listen to certain types of music, and we're repeating wahe, wahe, gu, wahe, gu, we're developing a a skill, a technique to come into a certain meditative state that's created by coming into a rhythm and holding on to an internal rhythm that we create, and and this is the practice. This is the skill development. And over time, I realized that if my mind started to get a little bit out of control, or I was thinking about the same thing over and over again, I can use this mantra to interrupt my thoughts. And and really, that's the fundamental tool that I use it for, and I think that it has the most benefit for. Um, And there's other two other aspects to the mantra that I find are important. It's about creating a rhythm and being able to anchor into that rhythm. And the yogis call it the nod. And within that space of repeating a phrase over and over again and perhaps layering another phrase inside of it, the mind, the space is called a nod. And and, and and polyrhythms begin with our voices and, and something happens to the consciousness. And and that's the best I can explain. Something happens to your consciousness. A second aspect that I've really been playing with lately is the enunciation and articulation of these phrases and the effects that has on the lips, the tongue, and the mouth. And so when I work with mantra, or I'm playing with as I'm, walking on a meditative walk, moving a bow staff through the air and creating a rhythm with the movement of my arms, moving through the midline, and then adding a mantra. Now I get a couple different rhythms going in my body at the same time. Think about a drummer playing a hi-hat and a kick drum and a snare. They're doing, you know, four different things with their hands at one time. And it's akin to that. It's Dividing the consciousness into being aware of several different simple things at the same time, and allowing the impact of that to happen, and then just observing
1: the impact that has. That sounds to me like a a movement from a kind of shamatha-type concentration process of, of gathering gathering attention gathering awareness into a focal point but then the the layering seems actually like the only way to be able to do that with facility and ease is is to really open awareness at that point so you kind of rest back into a very wide experience where all these things can happen where movement can happen but obviously you can't fixate on any one of them individually otherwise the others fall out of awareness and fall out of rhythm. So that, that would be very resonant with the way I would teach meditation, for example. So we would start with some kind of focused shamatha type gathering, but not for very long. Mm-hmm. You know, My main practice is to get people to recognize that they are open awareness and that they can rest in this very vast, very wide, very spacious, very still, Open space, and life can happen in beautiful and unexpected ways because there's space suddenly for that to happen. whereas when we're when we're narrowly focused on whatever whatever the subject of our attention is, that that blinkers us from life generally, so we have a very closed experience of being alive and particularly. As our coming back to the left brain again, you know our left brain wants to find and fix problems, wants to strategize, wants to dissect things into small, observable units, and that's really tiring, basically, because you're shutting out the whole of the rest of your experience. So this dilation, and opening, and allowing for multiple polyrhythms to, to manifest, whether Mm -hmm. that's movement or within the mind or within the system. Seems like a very, for me, a very fundamentally healing process.
0: It's super nurturing and it's fun. And it's rooted in like these time tested techniques of breathing, of vocalizing or toning, and moving within comfortable stability. And For me, I think why it works for me is because I'm taking these really simple things and I would say one of the impacts of my childhood experiences was a struggle with sticking with anything. And so the idea of commitment, of of really following things through, it's been challenging throughout my life. And so when I committed to mastering some simple things and then realizing that within that mastery, there's more and more subtleties. And it really prevented me from stopping window shopping. You know, what's the next latest thing or hear a buzzword and say, Oh gosh, what's that? I need to figure out what X, Y, and Z is. And, One thing or one way I like to look at it or one way when I'm teaching a meditation sharing is to bring a focus into one aspect and then it's just expanding your awareness into, with a continued focus on the breath, expand your awareness, sensations on the soles of your feet and just to continually layering and it's teaching us that we can hold many things within us one time
1: without overwhelm
0: without overwhelm and yeah and and if you can hold attention for 5 seconds then it's 5 seconds if it's for 5 minutes then it's 5 minutes if it's on one thing or two things or three things that's what it is and to be really cool in that process of slowly expanding our awareness and accepting where it is in the moment. And when we have the body as a tool of inquiry, we can continually come back to it. It's always with us. And over time, I've noticed an impact on my own psychology, my own way of the way that I respond to the world. And, you know, I do think the yogis and and the martial artists have used the body in this way, Because there is impact throughout the whole of our lives.
1: Yeah. I like the emphasis on that super fun as well, in that so much of this kind of work, and it's often referred to as work, can feel very effortful, whether it's coming back into strong, flexible, safe range of movement in the body or you know building strength and endurance in the body or whether it's processing our past conditioning or trauma or healing from early wounding a lot of it can seem incredibly daunting and require that the endless effort you know and that's why you know and i agree with you i've in the past have also been a Great window shopper, and I've tried lots of modalities and have had trouble sticking with any one spiritual practice or psycho spiritual practice. And that's because the modalities I pursued were all very effortful. They were like, rein the mind in. We're going to train the mind like a, we're going to break it like a wild horse until it's obedient. And we can be in control. And the, the approach I learned, thankfully, and I now teach, is the opposite of that. Rather than keeping the horse within the, within the corral, it's just opening the gates and letting, <laughs> yeah. letting, it, letting it be, letting everything be, and noticing that when we let things be, Things tend to be calm and open and happy. And, and so then all you're following in that process is, is something very pleasant. You know, it's a joyful unfolding rather than this hard work.
0: Absolutely true. Um, and I've done a fair amount of talk therapy in my life and I've definitely tried to intellectualize, justify, figure out stuff that is simply not figurable. And I don't know if it's aid. I don't know if it's doing work on myself, but I've come to this point of not needing or wanting to figure out or know much of anything. And it's a really cool place to be. And if someone would have told me that 15 years ago, I would have said, you're an idiot. And, And poo pooed them? And and I really like what you said about opening up the gates and just letting the mind run. We have to. The mind almost has to exhaust itself. And the important part of that is just knowing that it's noise, that it's chatter. And over time, we become much more discerning of what is noise in our own self and around us. And then things just get easier. Yeah, And I just want to add that when we develop the ability to focus on sensation in the body, we're training the mind to focus on something. And that is a wonderful skill to develop. And there's so many different ways and so many different tools to do that from playing an instrument to carving wood to observing nature. It's Endless. And I think at the heart of what I'm hoping to share with people is that we, when we develop our own personal practice, whatever that may be, it's that commitment that we have to get through just to do it. Um, I mean, Nike says it best, right? Like just do it. <laughs> yeah. They spent a lot of money coming up with that phrase and it, and it really kind of sums everything up. All the saints and sages
1: said it in different ways but but there's an invitation there naturally isn't there when when what you're doing is psychologically and physiologically and spiritually welcoming just coming back to this you know if you take a progressive path meditation process there's a hell of a lot of not being very good at it at the beginning and however much you're told to you know equanimity is helpful in this moment we're just it's okay well may be okay but as a highly conditioned western industrial human it's very likely you're going to feel shit about yourself because you've done it badly and and there's something very permissive about flipping the story completely around the other way so that we are still engaged in like you say bringing attention to rest on something consciously like a sensation in the body or, or or the learning of an instrument for example but it's not done from an effortful perspective. And I think part of that is learning the difference between concentration and awareness, for example, and that they're very different muscles or that they have a very different flavor in the body.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they go hand in hand and they have different impacts. I guess if I had to describe awareness, there's a spaciousness to it. and concentration, there's a focus. And the paradox is we have to concentrate to get to the awareness and the awareness helps us concentrate.
1: Yeah. It's the recognition that awareness is a kind of endlessly replenishable source of concentration that I think is the, is the the thing that really unlocked it for me. I always thought it was the other way around that, that through persistence and concentration eventually, you know, I guess it refers back to what you were saying about chasing enlightenment. I was on a similar journey there that if I work hard enough and I thread the needle tight enough through this process, I'll come out the other side into whatever enlightenment is, awakening is. Whereas this embodied version of kind of direct non-dual meditation that I have learned and teach is, well, we'll just drop into that now. We're not going to mess about. We're going to sit back into our being, yeah. and from there, we can concentrate. But yes. first of all, we're going to recognize that, that there's something more open to our being than this very narrow experience of being a, a, a kind of head-bound human.
0: It's hard to put words to that, isn't it? It's hard to put, I guess, nurturing comes to mind.
1: Yeah. But I think there's a very, I think there's something very beautiful about the fact that it's not that hard and that in a very short space of time, you can begin, as I'm sure you do with your practice for people to have a felt sense of that, you know, they feel that in their body and their mind correspondingly relaxes and calms and, and then possibility emerges, healing emerges. Yeah. I'd
0: like to think that I'm, I'm approaching that more and more. And, and my experience is telling me that the work that I've done and whatever ability I have to hold that space in myself can be transmitted. And, and and I say that with a huge, like, flag of caution. Um, we as teachers, are simply guides we can share people with what we've created in ourselves and i'm finding that i actually have very little to teach that there's some very simple techniques and they need repetition focus and refinement and the techniques can be explained in minutes the experience can be created within Five, 20 30 minutes holding on to that space is now up to each individual
1: but that transmission is is so key i think because you, what you're also doing you know you're teaching something very simple but you're holding that space in your own present for those people that are learning with you and that's the kind of transmission i think you're referring to so it isn't the kind of guru-expert-to-disciple transmission. It's the co-regulatory transmission of human-to-human human, that if I can rest in my body in presence and be available for you and share a practice with you, that's much more impactful than me just telling you how to do stuff.
0: Yeah, and that's you just saying that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up taking someone into or sharing with them my practice, I do my practice with them. And then there's a a weave that's happening. If it's happening in person, it's more or less the same if I'm doing it online. I I feel myself opening as they do. And yeah, I, I don't really know how to describe it any way than that. And I do want to add that it takes... Commitment. It takes practice. It takes refinement. We can guide someone somewhere. And again, then it's it's really that commitment part that really, really helped. I shared with you a few years ago, I went for a walk and started to weave. I set out with the goal of, I want to train myself, so I just need 15 minutes a day. And this is a hugely different mindset than a decade ago where I need three months at a retreat and I'm going to go so deep and I'm going to blow the doors open. And, you know, I would spend three months preparing to go to a retreat for three months and then spend three months recovering from the bubble that popped the day I left. Now 15 minutes, I can just move in a certain way. And because the time was taken to, open up that space in myself and hold it, I can come back there.
1: Yeah. It's familiar territory. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that very much. So that's kind of speaks to me of the householder's path rather than a renunciate's path. And, and so much of what we thought this kind of spiritual practice was, was, renunciation, was was going off to the monastery, was retreating. Uh, and maybe that ties into what you were saying early on about the difference maybe between transcendence and imminence, between using spirituality to to leave and then actually realizing that using spirituality to to come here, to land here, to be here, to work through your body, through the world is... Is actually where the secret source is.
0: Yeah, I, I can say that my spiritual quest was pure escapism, and I want to have a human awakening. And, and I think when I shifted that perspective from having a spiritual awakening to having a human awakening, I grounded. I felt much more present. I respond to the world. I'm I'm here. Yeah.
1: And here, in a way that is so different from the idea of or a kind of dry conceptual idea of being in the present moment. Here means here in my body, in the kind of blood and guts and viscera of a human life with, with its difficulties and with its joys and with the arising and passing of everything that's going on. It's a way of showing up that doesn't doesn't wipe you out, basically. Yes,
0: T- to become comfortable in the mundane and relaxed in the chaos, just make
1: life easier, and consequently makes you more functional,
0: more functional, more relatable, more interrelatable, and. So, you know, I can use an example for myself. I just landed here in Buffalo, New York, to Palm Beach on the Gold Coast in Australia. And within three or four days, I felt home. And that's a wonderful feeling to be able to literally fly across the world, land somewhere, and just kind of be like, hmm, this is home, I'm comfortable, and start building relationships that feel like they're much more depth and evolve than can happen in the two weeks that I've been here. And I I think that is an impact of doing the work, but also coming to realize that the work is not very complicated and that everywhere I go, there I am. And I have to do the work to be able to feel in myself. And I think I'm speaking a bit to, I'll call it a past life, even though it was like a decade ago, my masterful escapism. Truly, travel, going to workshops, is a opening experience. And at the same time, it can prevent us from really doing the work because It is new. And that in itself feels opening and alive and enlightening. And soon that intimacy that we can create within a workshop environment, I like to call it faux intimacy. Because we can all go there and be wide open and and feel like we've just shared our most intimate secrets. But no one ever sticks around long enough to experience the impact of revealing ourselves or being revealed to someone and how we respond as humans to it.
1: So you found yourself in in Australia, working with Benny Ferguson, who's the founder of Movement Monk and Movement Plus. And tell me a bit about that. So you're beginning to share your practices with the Movement Plus community. And, and I'm interested to know, you know what's exciting you about that, what, what the process has been like so far.
0: I'm really excited to work with people who are drawn to developing conscious awareness, devoid of dogma, devoid of any sort of guru desire, People who are really willing to get in tune with the intelligence of the body and take the time and develop the skills to allow the mind simply to be so that the body can do its thing, learn to create that weed. And it's really cool to see these these different teachers who are coming in, we're all more or less saying the same things, but in different voices. And just a desire to really work with Benny and everyone here to create my idea of what community is, where we come together as teachers and know each other well enough to where we can say, hey, maybe you should work with so-and-so because this is what he needs now. And 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 pointing people in directions that are teaching toward the same thing with different voices, yeah. You know that kind of comes circles back to what we we're talking about earlier about untying knots. All of our knots are tied in a little bit different way, and today you might need Dan's voice, and tomorrow you might you might need Tom's. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah i love that as well the synergy and the diversity of of the teachers and mentors and coaches that are coming together is is really interesting to me and i think that from a from a coach's perspective as a practitioner and as a someone who works with clients there's something very beautiful about that the collective approach as well a kind of polyclinic approach in a way that like you say you can get to know the other coaches and mentors and teachers in a way that just opens up the opportunities for participants for clients of Movement Plus into something kind of incredible you know when when you come as a member to Movement Monk you may come with a muscular injury or a skeletal issue and that may open up into a whole opportunity of, of healing and growth and, and self awareness because there are so many ways and so many different directions. And because we're all offering something holistic, but like you say, different. And, and you know, it might be different practices, but it's also, we're bringing ourselves. And I think that's, reflecting back to what you said about Benny, I really agree with you that the thing that really attracted me to Benny's work and to Movement Monk as an organization was it's really authentic. It is just, you know, he's been on a pretty profound healing journey and he's learned some very useful stuff that's helped him. I know how he's sharing it. And that's it. You know, that's, that's the deal. So if you would like to be part of a community in which we share stuff that's really helpful and has really worked for us in a holistic way that will work on your body and your mind and your emotional level and your spiritual opening, then you've found a, a really good home.
0: You found a great home with a lot of different people who have done their work and I think you said it best just want to share my driving force is I'm compelled to share I I don't really have a choice at this point in my life It's, I didn't set out to do this at all it's what's happening and it feeds me and I hope it feeds others
1: To discover more of Tom's work and to try Movement Plus membership for free for seven days, please visit earthbound.fi forward slash movement plus or click on the links in the show notes. I'm Dan McTiernan. I'm a transpersonal psychology coach and an embodied meditation teacher. And together with my wife Johanna, we run EarthBound a coaching organization working at the fertile edge between transpersonal psychology, embodiment, and permaculture. To find out more, please visit our website at earthbound.fi.